Welcome to Bite Size, a series where we talk to traffic and mobility experts, discuss innovation, and highlight business leaders within transport and city planning. Hello, my name is Emily, and welcome back to another episode of the Bite Size podcast. Net zero emission vehicles and electric vehicles have had a lot of attention lately, not just in the private car ownership realm, but also in the state government realm, with a number of state governments introducing net zero emission buses into their fleets, such as in Sydney uh, and also in parts of the ACT. So my guest today does a fantastic job about going over some of the ins and outs of electric vehicles, the different types of electric vehicles uh, that I didn't even know existed, and also what more could be done to disrupt the industry and its current form. So I'm lucky enough to be chatting to Paul Marrick today. Paul is the managing editor of carexpert.com.au. He's been writing about cars since he was 17 and is a wealth of knowledge about everything to do with electric vehicles, but explains it in a way that is also quite accessible because sometimes the technology gets a little bit caught up in the jargon. He also has a Bachelor of Mechanical Engineering and worked as a project engineer. So he's got a balanced perspective of both a consumer side and a personal user of EVs and also that engineering background. Paul, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast today. Not a problem at all. I just wanted to start a little bit about your background and your career journey. Yeah, sure. Um, look, it's it's a bit of a convoluted journey, but I think uh, people get to these stages by, you know, taking convoluted ways. Um, for me, I basically had a passion for cars growing up and also had a passion for IT. Um, after high school, I left uh I guess I, I left the family home and then went to work as a as an IT uh, technician uh, so that I could effectively work enough to get youth allowance for university. I was hoping to do a telecoms degree at uni. Mm-hmm. While I was doing the IT job, I thought I'd start a car website given my um, passion for cars. Uh, that evolved into accessing cars to review. So at, at sort of age 18, I was given cars that I could drive around for a week and, and, and assess. Um Started my uni degree in telecoms and discovered that um, I, I think I was more into uh, mechanical engineering. So I switched over to mechanical engineering <laughs> um, while doing all the car stuff part time. I eventually got to the stage where I sold my website to uh, another website called Car Advice. Uh, I worked uh, in the engineering field after finishing my uni degree for about three years full time as an engineer. Uh, during that time, I was still doing all the car stuff in the background and, and decided, look, I think I'm going to continue doing the car stuff instead of the engineering degree. So <laughs> switch back over to um, to work full time at Car Advice. Uh, car Advice was eventually sold to Channel 9 uh, about three years ago. And uh, since then, we started a new site called Car Expert. And, and that's where I am today. So I'm a, an engineer that writes about cars and that loves tech, <laughs> effectively. <laughs> I mean, it's a good mix because then you can kind of talk about things from both the engineering kind of side a little bit more, but also the consumer side. So you've got a, you've got both, which I think would be quite handy. Well, that's the thing. A lot of my colleagues are, are journalists by trade, and and look, I'm no. Um, you know, uh, no prize winner when it comes to writing, but <laughs> I, I, th- I can string a sentence together and I know the technical side of cars. And, and I think that helps being able to explain to the layman how something works. And especially now with the era of electric cars and autonomy, 
I think a lot of it still doesn't make sense to people. So I try and dumb it down as much as I can so that, that all of these big terms and, and complex, uh, I guess, theories actually make sense to the average person. Yeah, totally. And I think is there's a isn't there like a rule where it's like if you can't explain something simply, you probably don't understand it enough yourself. So it's it's exactly. probably yeah, it, it's it's I don't think there's any um it, it's not really dumbing it down at all. I think it's actually being able to explain it in language that's accessible to a, a lot of people, which is I think missed. Yeah, exactly. And that's the thing. I use my um, parents as a good as a good reference. I think to myself, okay, um, if my mum doesn't understand this, then I'm not doing well enough explaining it. <laughs> yeah, that's a good benchmark. <laughs> so you mentioned um, you mentioned electric vehicles and autonomous vehicles. For those who are unfamiliar, do you think you could run through some of maybe the trends or statistics about electric vehicles and the industry in general? Because uh, I think there's probably quite a lot of numbers that are getting floated around and it gets a little bit muddy. Yeah, sure. Look, I'll explain first what an electric vehicle is. So traditionally, an internal combustion vehicle is is a car that you've fueled primarily with petrol or diesel or LPG, and you drive around, it burns uh, burns that, um, that, that gas inside the engine through an internal combustion process, and then um, you refuel it and, and you start the whole process again. These are your typical cars. It's, it's what you would know sort of day in, day out. The next step above that is what we call a hybrid. And this is something like a Toyota Prius. It's a closed circuit hybrid, which means you can't charge it externally like you would, um, you know, how you think of an electric car. So there's mm-hmm. no charging. You still fuel it with just petrol or diesel. And what it does is it stores energy for later use so that when you slow down, it's it's basically charging a small battery. And when you take off, it uses energy from that battery so you don't have to use fuel. This simply reduces the amount of fuel you use in, in the long run and makes the car more efficient. We then step up to the next level, which is a plug-in hybrid. That's effectively the same as a closed circuit hybrid, except it has a bigger battery. You can run the vehicle on full electric for a longer distance. So typically it's around 50 or 60 kilometers on full electric. And it also means you can charge it at home as well. Mm. And then the final step above that is a battery electric vehicle, which is effectively a fully electric vehicle. It has no petrol, has no diesel, no LPG. It is simply powered by electricity. It uses a big battery that generally sits uh, on the bottom floor pan of the car and that's charged and then the car is able to drive. The trends in Australia are that there are not many of these on the road. Currently, there's only around 1% of new car sales that are electric in some form. So that includes wow. both um, plug-in hybrids and full electric cars. So the, the numbers are really small in Australia. There is a caveat to that, though. So Tesla, because Tesla, they don't report sales uh, anywhere in the world, including Australia. And we have to guess Tesla's figures. So we know that 1% of car sales are electric, but we think that if we include Tesla, the number's probably closer to around 1.5%. How does that compare to the rest of the world? Well, the rest of the world is far further ahead of Australia, uh, shock horror, when it comes to um, green energy. And that certainly happens with EVs as well. So we're seeing a shift in Europe, uh, the UK as well, where around 10% of new car sales are electric. So you can see that big difference there. Yeah, wow. Do you think it it has to do with, say, the legislation or maybe the lack thereof in Australia in particular? 
Look, I think it's 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 a bit of both. So mm. effectively getting into an EV in Australia is very expensive. So if you look at Australia's cheapest EV, it's called the MGZS EV. It's a, it's a Chinese built vehicle. It's priced at around $43,000. Oof. It's in the shape of an SUV. <laughs> I, I heard that noise. And, and that's what a lot of people think that the cheapest one is still a lot more expensive than what a lot of people can actually afford. So Buying one is kind of out of the question. The most popular EV in Australia, the the average price of those, which is the the Model 3, is around $80,000. So Mm. they're they're not cheap to get into. And and there's a bit of a hurdle here. So yes, the government can come out and supply incentives, which the New South Wales government has, has just announced that it will, which is excellent news. But the problem is they're still out of reach for the average Australian. So Mm. We're at a point at the moment where it's early adopters and people willing to, to take a punt with them, but you're still quite a way off these becoming mainstream. In Europe and the UK, they're much cheaper. So it, it's just in Australia where that, that big price divide just doesn't make sense at the moment. And it's swaying a lot of people away from an EV, especially when there are very few incentives. Yeah. And considering that the, the cost of an EV is almost, I'm thinking in terms of, because I, again, I'm a millennial in terms of housing deposits, it, it's yes. a lot of money. Like you could either choose to maybe get a car or that could be almost 10 to 20% of a deposit for a, an apartment. Yeah, exactly. And if you rent and you buy an EV, you have to then juggle the next hurdle, which is how do I charge it? If you mm. rent, you're not going to pay to install charging infrastructure at your home. So I think that, that there's there's still quite a few sort of hurdles before we get to the point where someone will be com- or a, a wider range of people rather will be comfortable buying an EV knowing that they can live with it day to day. Yeah, that's a good point as well. So besides the costs and then the the issue of the infrastructure, say in your own house, if you don't own your own home, why do you think Australians are slow to take up EVs? I think it's because they don't, they're not being forced to do it. So if we look to the car industry, the best-selling cars in Australia are are always and have been for quite some time, the Toyota Hilux and the Ford Ranger. So they're both dual cab utes. If you look at the top 10 sales in Australia, a lot of those vehicles are dual cab utes. People buy dual cab utes, yes, because we have a lot of tradies, but also because there's there's incredible tax incentives to, to own one of those vehicles if you own your own business. Mm. So you can reduce your, your taxable income by purchasing one of those vehicles. Whether you use it for work or not is, is an entirely different question. You look at a lot of these vehicles on the road, they never have anything in the tray. Um, so they're clearly just day-to-day vehicles. So if you look at that industry, in Australia, our emissions regulations don't force the manufacturers of those vehicles to do anything too special in terms of emissions. So in Australia, we're seeing car companies dump stock here that that really is destined just for third world countries where there are very few um, emissions regulations. That also means that there's no incentive for manufacturers to actually offer green options in Australia because they know that not a lot of people will buy them and the government isn't forcing you to do it. So why would you take the more expensive route instead of just finding uh, an engine that's available for uh, you know, an African country that we can also sell here in Australia? So until we get to the point where the, the biggest sellers in the country are forced to go electric, we're not going to see that uptake. So if the government turned around tomorrow and said, okay, we're going to go with Euro 6 emissions requirements, which is, which is a level of emissions for vehicles uh, that, they, that they have in Europe at the moment, mm-hmm. if, if we were to see them announce that for Australia, it would force the likes of uh, Ford and, and Toyota to come out and say, okay, we're going to bring out a hybrid version of the Hilux and the Ranger. The second that happens, you'll see 
more companies going, okay, well, now's the time for us to start bringing in greener options because the two best sellers are greener now as well. So it really goes hand in hand with what's available on the market and what the government is forcing people to do. And at this stage where we're in this limbo where you really need one to, to push the other before we see a greater uptake of these vehicles. Interesting. It kind of does remind me of that law where it's like something won't move unless acted upon by a large enough force and it's nobody yes. wants to take <laughs> take that first step. It also reminds me of um, some arguments I've seen around uh, transitioning to cleaner energy just overall and how I think people assume you have to just like push out the existing players and replace them with, say, a greener alternative, but you could be using the existing players and their market share to actually help penetrate these new kind of greener, more sustainable technologies that way. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's the thing. The, the I, I mean, Toyota, just as a, as a side example, they there's technology in cars now, safety technology that's standard now across most cars. And it's it'll basically stop the car if you don't. It's called autonomous emergency braking. Mm. Toyota had that technology available for the Hilux, which is Australia's best-selling car, for years in Europe before it was introduced into Australia. Wow. So these car companies have technology available. They can easily make the technology available. They just choose not to because you can make a greater profit by not fitting your car with certain things and selling it for the exact same price. And and I think the, the point that you made there is exactly right, that if these guys were to actually adopt this technology, it would force others to follow. I mean, that's as, as simple as it is. And until they are forced to do that, they're, they're really not going to create a reason for anyone to follow them. True. Uh, speaking of disruption as well, I did read one of the articles that you've written specifically about purchasing a Tesla. And it was actually kind of really cool because I didn't know that the process of buying a Tesla was so different from uh, just a conventional car and that process of, you know, going to a display yard and having someone sell you the car and then basically driving it away. It's it's actually a much more lengthy process. Well, it's actually changed now as well with COVID. So uh, to fill people in, Tesla basically does um, no haggling. So you have a fixed price. The price on their website is what you pay. It's what everyone pays. Even the employees do not get a cent off that price. For me, I like that because I'm terrible at haggling. It means that <laughs> I'm going to get the same price as the next guy. If you buy a traditional car, there's every chance that the guy knows the dealer principal or something like that and they're going to mm-hmm. get a discount and you just end up feeling bad about it, right? So with Tesla, it's one price and and what they do is you pay your deposit online. Once they allocate a car to you, you accept it, you pay the full amount, you go to their um, showroom and you basically sign an iPad and drive off in your new car. Now with COVID, there's actually no one there. So you'll turn up, you, you, uh, you, you show a guy your license and then you disappear in your car. So it, it's very different to the traditional process where you go to a dealership, they've got a big ribbon around the car and you sign five hours worth of paperwork. They try and upsell you all the paint protection products. <laughs> with Tesla, you, you pay for the car and you drive off in the car. So look, to me, I prefer that process because it's just yeah. a, a much easier way to do things and but I know that it won't appeal to some people. Yeah, it um, it reminds me when my parents were buying, they bought a new car recently, a couple of years ago now, and there was they were talking to one guy who they were already going to buy the car off and this other guy kind of interjected in and was trying to get them to swap <laughs> the new car for like the floor stock that they had. Yeah. And then he made a really big blunder by thinking that 
because one of my parents was called doctor that it was my dad and not my mom. And so it was, it was, <laughs> he kind of committed faux pas after faux pas. We're like, mm, we're not yeah. going to buy the floor stock. <laughs> so. But you know what, that's, that's the thing. We um, just, just as a side thing, we uh, basically this year did a trial, uh, which we called the experience center. And we set up at a, at a Westfield on the Northern beaches of Sydney and mm. had around 20 cars inside a, an old city beach store. And what we wanted to do was give people the ability to come and look at new cars, talk to us. We're independent experts. We're not paid by anyone to promote any products. And they're also available to then test drive the cars. Now, the feedback we had was that it was amazing because people hate going to a dealership and having that exact situation there where they assume <laughs> the man is the person with the money and that's the only person they need to speak to. They try and pressure you into doing all of these things that you know in the back of your mind are there to just give them another bonus at the end of the month. So it's really interesting with the Tesla model and, and what we trialed there with the Experience Center that people just want to come in, look at the car, get told facts about the car and then decide to buy in their own time. That's all they want. Hmm. Interesting. I, speaking back on Teslas as well, one of the things that comes up a lot is charging. And we've kind of touched on it with the idea of whether you rent or own your own home uh, and and uh, the idea of range anxiety, particularly in Australia where people feel like they drive probably more than what they actually do. What does the government need to do and what do maybe consumers need to know when it comes to charging an electric vehicle and, and the range of that charge will give them? Um, yeah, the, the problem we have with electric vehicles, it's you, you kind of have this effect in, a, in an internal combustion car, but it's, it's amplified in an electric vehicle uh, and that's temperature. So if you go for a drive and it's, it's bitterly cold outside in your EV, it's going to use more energy to drive the car, especially in the early stages of your drive. Mm. And that's because the, the car has to, uh, the, the battery has to operate at, at an efficient uh, sort of thermal level. Mm. And the way that it does that is by heating the battery. So you can just imagine if you're at home and you're running a one of those old bar oil heaters, they chew through so much electricity. And mm. it's the same with an electric car. It uses its own electricity to heat the battery so that it can run more efficiently. So it's it's a bit, bit of a weird concept to get your head around. And it's the same story when the car's hot. It has to use... Um, you know, it has to use its own energy to cool the battery. So there's this very narrow band that the electric car can operate in where the range that you see on the on the trip meter is exactly what you'll achieve. So they try and get around this by, by taking temperature readings and, and adjusting range accordingly. But when people drive an electric car and they talk about range anxiety, it's, it's that where the car will tell them they have 200 kilometres of range left, but they'll drive 50 kilometres and it's used 100 kilometres. So mm. that's that range anxiety effect. Now, I've only had that happen to me once before. And <laughs> the way I got around it is there's there's a really great app. It's a free app called PlugShare. And it effectively tells you where all of the charges are around you. And you can filter by charger type. So you, you match it to the vehicle that you own. And then it will tell you that within 500 metres, there's a charger in the car park of that shopping centre that's free to use. And you'll drive in there, plug up your car and away you go. So I think that once people get their head around how EVs operate and to allow extra headroom in certain weather conditions, and also that there are actually more charges around the, than they think there are, 
it becomes a whole lot easier. And, and what I've found as well is that around my home, I've got chargers that I know, I've got my home charger as well. So I'm very comfortable taking drives of up to sort of two hours away because I know that there's a charging network around. Obviously, if it's a longer distance drive, you have to plan your route, but it's simply an extra 10 minutes spent on figuring out where you can charge if you need to along that long distance trip. Yeah, you raised two good points, I think, as well. In terms of range anxiety, I was thinking people also have this problem with a petrol-powered car anyway. You, if you're going on a long road trip, you have to think, okay, where is the petrol station? How much How much petrol do I have? What's roughly the range that my car can, can make? And then the second thing you raised about EVs that I wasn't aware of is that not necessarily every charging station will match every particular vehicle. Is that right? Yeah, it's it's like literally when you go to your friend's house and you're like, okay, I need to charge my phone and they go, oh, oh. I've only got a Samsung plug. It's it's exactly <laughs> that. And look, we are becoming better now. So the Australian standard now is a type two plug. That's, that's what it's called. And that's the European standard as well. So we're getting to the point now where pretty much all vehicles will come with that type of plug. But you will still have some older EVs and some of the Japanese EVs that have different plug types and you need to have a bag of converters. And the other problem is some of the earlier charging networks in Australia use a different plug type again. Mm. So yes, you will get caught out the first time like I did. <laughs> but what you do is you basically have a bag of tricks that sits in the car with you. So you do have an adapter in case you need it. And and it's all... Um, I don't know, it's all just stuff that you think about when when you've bought the car and you're living with it. Um, mm. I think that's when you realise you've got to have all this stuff just in case. And once you've got it, you don't think about it again. Yeah, okay. That was, it was a good point because I actually I wasn't actually aware that there were different charging points. So it And when you explain it like a phone, I'm like, oh, yeah, that actually makes sense because people <laughs> exactly. have... Exactly. Yeah, so <laughs> it's, I think, just like a, an almost like an out-of-sight, out-of-mind thing. So Exactly. Good point to have. Um <laughs> I, I've kind of left my funnest question to last, which was, um, in your opinion, what do you think are the best EVs that are coming into the Aussie market or that already exist in the Australian market? Ooh, okay, so it's it's tough because it depends what you want to spend. So for, for me, look, I, I like going fast. I like doing track days <laughs> and all that sort of stuff. So for me, the, the faster, the better. And and that's kind of why I bought the Tesla because it's um, we, we did a video, it's now probably five or six years ago when Tesla was first sort of picking up, where we did a drag race between a Tesla Model S and a V8 supercar. <laughs> and everyone sees V8 supercars on TV. They're, they're these incredible machines. They'll do 300Ks an hour down Conrad Strait. Like that, they are awesome machines. And we teed up this drag race thinking that the V8 supercar would simply demolish the Tesla. And the Tesla ended up winning. And the video <laughs> went viral. It got like 2 million views in 24 hours. It went crazy. So what, what we discovered then is that, that EVs aren't just your buzz boxes that, that get around and, you know, save the environment. They're, they're actually, they can be engaging cars. And that's what Tesla's tried to do with theirs. So for me, the, the best EVs are the, are the fast ones, uh, but because I'm also a tech person, I love high-tech stuff, and and that's where Tesla is winning at the moment. They, they, they're just one step ahead of everyone else in terms of tech. So for my car, for example, I can get software updates overnight while it's parked there, and the software updates will bring new features. So for example, last year, Tesla rolled out Netflix to their cars. So Overnight, my car got Netflix. So when I drive my wife to, um, like, because she <laughs> hates parking in the city, I'll drive her to her hair salon place and I'll sit out the front for like an hour or two while she gets her hair done and I'll just watch Netflix. So stuff like that I think is really cool. Um, 
a lot of other manufacturers are now adopting that. So Tesla has forced other manufacturers to do that. Um, if you then look beyond Tesla, Porsche now has a range of EVs as well. They're, they're now setting the benchmark in terms of performance uh, and tech as well. But then if you look to the to the cheaper scale, um, I love what Volvo is doing. So Volvo has a full electric version of their XC40 SUV coming. And I think they've struck that perfect middle ground because their car doesn't look like a science project. It's still really fun to drive and it's high tech as well. So, you know, there really is just something for everyone out there. Um, the only problem is the starting price of all these cars is just slightly more expensive than, a, than an internal combustion car. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Paul, for talking to me today. It was really interesting to find out some new information about um, different things with EVs that I didn't know. And, and particularly the fact that Tesla doesn't actually tell you about their um, percentages and what they sell. I didn't know that as well. Uh, but yeah, no, thank you so much. <laughs> no dramas at all. I love talking uh, Love talking cars and, and I love where we're going with EVs. I think the, the tech here is just, yeah, it's really exciting stuff. If you'd like to know more about Paul or Car Expert, you can visit their website, which is carexpert.com.au. Alternatively, if you'd like to know more about BiteSize or the company that operates this podcast, Compass IoT, you can visit our website, which is www.compassiot.com.au. Until next time.